Well, this morning we're going to get personal. In fact, we're, we're going to call names. Last Sunday in 2 John, we talked about the church and we talked about the congregation as a whole. But today we're zeroing in a little closer. We're, we're getting personal about church members, about specific church members, about some issues that need to be addressed. And we're going to call members by name. Sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes it's very biblical to do. And so today we're going to do that. Oh, not our church members, the church members at Ephesus in the first century. It scared you for a minute, didn't it? We're going to call names of, of people who were members of the church in Ephesus because John called their names in 3 John. For the last few Sundays, we've been preaching through, or I've been preaching through books that I have not preached from as your pastor in 18 years. Uh, we, uh, we've looked at Song of Solomon. We've, we've looked at uh, Philemon. We've looked at Lamentations. Last Sunday morning, we looked at 2 John. And this morning, we're going to look at 3 John. Now, 3 John is the smallest book of the Bible. It's only 215 words in Greek. In fact, it was when it was originally written, most Bible scholars believe it was written on papyrus that was 10 inches by 8 inches. All scribbled on there so it would be easier to keep and travel with. Very small letter. But just because it's small does not mean it's unimportant. Because... Some of the truths we're going to talk about today are vital truths for us. So I want us to look at what John said as he began to call names in the church and deal with some of their issues. Read with me verse 1. The elder, that's John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, and that they may be fellow workers for the truth. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, but does not acknowledge our authority... So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and he stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. 
we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Now, one of the things that you notice first about 3 John is that there seems to be a close connection to 2 John and a close connection to 1 John. So, all three letters that John wrote to the church in Ephesus during the first century, some Bible scholars believe, and I don't want to lose you here, but some Bible scholars believe that 1 John was actually in a, actually 2 John was an attempt at 1 John. And John started writing the first letter to, uh, to, to Ephesus, and he got into it and thought, nah, that's not what I want to say. So he aborted the mission, and he started over and wrote 1 John, and his aborted message is actually 2 John. Maybe. But you see the connection between 2 John and 3 John. So let's look at that first of all this morning, letter A on your outline, the relationship to 2 John. This is fascinating. Remember last Sunday, as I preached on, on 2 John, he said three things to the church. Love one another. Obey God's commands. And reject any teaching that devalues Jesus. Love one another. We talked about that last Sunday, how that's needed in our culture. Obey God's commands. We talked about what that looks like for us as a church. In our culture, God's commands are routinely broken, whether it's marriage and defining marriage and same-sex marriage, and, or whether it's the Sabbath, or, or whether it's forgiving one another, or whether it's tithing. We talked about last Sunday of 100% of our members to tithe and bring God's tithe in the storehouse, and those people consider us to be their church. We talked about obedience to all of His commands. And then we also talk about that the false teaching about Jesus that's going around in our culture. And in 2 John's day, there were three groups, the Gnostics, the Docetics, and a group called the Serinthians who came and taught falsely about Jesus. And so 2 John said those three things, love one another, obey God's commands, and watch out the teachings about Jesus. But if you remember, there was another problem in 2 John. And that was, it was custom in those days for itinerant teachers and preachers to go from town to town. You'd have many of them. And so whenever they'd go to town and teach their doctrine, it was custom for the townspeople, the residents of the, of the communities, to open their homes, give those teachers lodging, pay for their living, and provide them a meal. And they stayed for months. Sometimes they'd stay for a year. So they did that. But here's the problem. In Ephesus, if you remember last Sunday, those teachers were teaching false things about Christ. And so the Christians, being more hospitable and kind and nice and tolerant, they opened their homes more than anybody else. And so it ended up with teachers teaching falsely on Sunday about Jesus and staying all week with Christians in their homes and Christians providing for this false teaching to go out. And John said, that's ludicrous. Don't do that. Slam the door in their face and don't open your door to them. Do not let them in your house. Because if you do and you're nice to them and hospitable and, and kind, you are participating in their false teaching. No, don't do it. That was 2 John. Sent the letter back. 
church received it. And a couple more problems developed that he had to write 3 John to address. One of the problems that developed was the church got 2 John. They read it and said, John, you're right. We're no longer going to be hospitable to the traveling teachers. But the problem was some of the teachers were good. Some of them preached Christ. Some of them told the church how to grow. And the Christians were slamming the door in their faces and not welcoming their home. And so John wrote back and said, okay, I've got time out. Time out. Hold on. Okay, I, thank you for rejecting the false teachers and not putting them in your house. But those that are good, that preach right about Christ, don't shut the door in their face. Open the door and be hospitable to them. In fact, John said, I have sent you some men who are godly men and, and you shut the door in their faces. Don't do that. If they're teaching the right things, receive them. That was one of the things he said. But they had a second problem in the church. After 2 John, their problem developed that there was a man in the church who became the church boss. You know those people. They try to run the church. They take it upon themselves to run the church. And there was a man who was doing that. He was, he was the show. But here's what he was doing. Anybody that crossed him or, or came against his authority... He said, you're a false teacher. And he kicked you out of the church. He canceled you. If he didn't like you as a church member. If you challenged his authority. If he felt like you were a threat to his power. He got rid of you. You're out of the church. Why? You're a false teacher. Paul, I mean John, told us. You need to be out. So... We know that there was some type of membership roles that they had. He crossed you off the membership list. So John said, okay, it's a mess there. You got this guy trying to run the church. You got, you got teachers I'm sending to the church to teach them the right way to go, and you're slamming the door in their face and not even putting them up in your house. I need to write you another letter. So John wrote 3 John and in this letter, he said, I've got to get personal. I've got to start calling names. You're in a mess. So I'm going to start calling names. The guy that's trying to run the church, I'm going to call him out. And I want you to listen. And you know, just as a pastor, I respect John for doing that. We don't do that today. Somebody today tries to run the church or they try to they try to be more important than they are. We just, we don't, we just let them go. We're kind, we're nice, we're tolerant, we're loving. And what happens in so many churches is that those people who try to run the church subvert the mission of the church and, and disrupt the fellowship of the church. And to John's credit, he didn't let that go on. He said, I'm going to call you out and call you out by name. 
And he did. So there are three men's names mentioned in this book. And I want to talk about all three. Because John talks about them. Letter B on your outline, three persons are called out. This is a tale of three men. Good examples and bad examples. And you know, as we're calling out these three names, I want us to think. And I want us to see because we get a glimpse into the life of the early church. And it wasn't all just roses. Uh, sometimes we idealize the early church. In fact, I've heard, I've heard people say before, Oh, pastor, we need, to, we need to just go back like the early church. I mean, we need to be like that first century church. They were, man, they were doing good. And they were, no, no, they had problems. They had problems. And it also gives us a glimpse into the fact that there are personalities in every church that you have to deal with. Every church has them. And you know, sometimes today we don't like dealing with personalities in churches, and so we, we just go to another church. They're there too. Sometimes we think, well, I, I, I don't like, they're a little too brash for me. They're, they're a little too direct, and, and I, I don't like what they said to me. It hurt my feelings. I, I'm going to another church. And you got them there too. And personalities are in churches, folks, and you have to deal with them. But you also have to evaluate what kind of personality and member am I? So I want you to think about that as we look at these three men. The first one he called out was a man by the name of Gaius. He was a good example. First eight verses he talks about him. Now Gaius was a member of the church at Ephesus. We don't know his role. Was he a deacon? Was he a teacher? Was he, was he the pastor? We don't know. But he was a member of the church, and John said, Man, Gaius is a great example of loving Jesus and serving Christ. He's a, he's a good one. In fact, I call him my beloved whom I love in truth. You know, I, I feel the same as John. I've pastored three different churches now. I had, had long tenures at each church, and in each one of the churches I've pastored, there are members that I look at and I say, you know, man, I love you in the truth. You are doing good. And there are members of this church who I've known for 18 years now, some of you, some of you less than that. And I look at you and your love for Christ and your spirit, and I just say, man, you're doing good. You're a Gaius. You're a blessing. Now, there are four other Gaiuses mentioned in the Bible. We don't know which one it was. Gaius was a very common name, like Jim today. It was Gaius in the Roman world. So there were Gaiuses everywhere. And there are four other Gaiuses. First of all, 1 Corinthians, Paul led a Gaius to the Lord and baptized him. And then in Romans 16, 23, Paul said there was a Gaius at Ephesus that was my host who hosted me. And then there was a Gaius in Acts chapter 19 that accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. Same Gaius? I don't know. And then there was a fourth Gaius who lived in Derby, the church in Derby, and led out and served the Lord in Acts 20. And then there's this Gaius, and we don't know if it's the same man. We don't know who he is. Could be different. We don't know. But John told us some things about Gaius. He said, first of all, he's in poor health. 
Gaius, I'm sorry to hear about your health. Man, I, I wish your physical body was as strong as your spirit. If your physical body was as strong as your spirit, man, what you could do. I'm sorry to hear about, I'm sorry to hear about that, your health. It's in verse 2. And then in verses 3 and 4, he tells us about Gaius. He said, Gaius, I have heard of you spiritually. I hear that you are walking in truth. And I rejoice in that because I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. I know Michael Murray, our student minister right here, that's, that's his favorite verse in the whole Bible. Amen. He has no greater joy than to hear students that come through his ministry after they leave continue to walk in truth. Some of you have pastored churches. I know Tim's pastored churches, Dane's pastored, I've pastored. And as a pastor, I totally agree. I, I love to hear somebody who, I've been at their church, served as their pastor, I've gone on or they've gone on, and I hear later they are walking in truth and living for Jesus. That gives you no greater joy. And so he said, Gaius, I'm hearing good things about you, brother. That's good. And he told us something else about him. He told us that he was consistent in his actions, that his walk matched his talk. He said in verses 5 and 6, Gaius, not only do you believe the right things, you're living the right things. And there's a difference. Some of us in church believe the right things, but we don't live the right way. And what a blessing when you see a person a man or a woman or a teenager or, or a child who believes right and walks right. Wow, they're good examples. And that was Gaius. In fact, he refreshed the spirit of John when he saw him. You ever know those people that whenever you see them coming, they just refresh you, they make you feel better, they encourage you? You just see Christ in them. Those people are great to hang around. They're blessings. But have you ever known those people, you see them come and you go, oh, no. Oh, they're going to wear me out. They're going to drain me. There are draining people. And there are refreshing people. I'm reading through my, my devotional time right now about Paul's letters. And I'm noticing this time as I go through all the people. It was yesterday's on Nisiphorus. All those people that Paul said, brother, you refresh my spirit. And I pray that you will be somebody that refreshes spirits when people see you. You're a Gaius. But he told us something else about him. Verse 8. He said, Gaius, you're a generous giver, brother. Man, I love that. You are generous and you're giving. Because you, you sent those, pe those people that I, I've sent to you to teach. You've opened up your home. You provided meals. You provided uh, lodging. You provided them a good living. You're going over and above. They're strangers to you. You don't know these people. You just received them because I sent them. Gaius, I love your giving spirit. Because he said, Gaius, your heart's been changed. And there's a connection. That whenever your heart changes, this changes your wallet. Even Jesus talked about a connection between your heart 
your treasure. And I've noticed that when God changes your heart, He usually changes your pocketbook. Usually. If you think He's changed your heart, but He hasn't changed this, you might want to check because usually people are generous and obedient when God truly changes them. Guys, there's one. Generous giver. And so we have Gaius as a good example of a good church member. But there's a second one he called their name. Verses 9 and 10, look on number 2, Diotrephes, a poor example. Diotrephes. His name means supported by Jupiter. That means. But here's the first example we see of a church boss. It was a man in the church who um, who wanted to run the show. He would tell everybody what to do, and nobody had the courage to stand up to him. And there are churches like that today. There are churches where you have one person or a, or a group of small group of people, and they try to run the church. And anytime somebody tries to stand up to them, they get angry. They're, they're bullies. They're church bullies. And Diotrephes was one. And Paul called him out. He said, look, let's don't, let's don't push anything under the rug anymore. He could have hinted around. He could have said, okay, now if somebody in your church does this or does that. But he came straight out and said, Diotrephes is the man in your church. He likes to put himself first. He does not receive any authoritative teaching from the Word of God. And you need to watch that guy. He told the church that. We don't know Diotrephes' role. He could have been a deacon, could have been a teacher, could have been the pastor. We don't know. But it was some guy trying to run it. I went into ministry when I was 19 years old, and I, I, I started pastoring at 24. And so from 19 to 24, those five years in there, I was going to college and going, studying for ministry. But I also preached a lot. Um, God gave me opportunities very quickly, and a lot of them, the first 52 weeks I was in ministry, I preached 50 times. I would do revivals at the churches. I would go to a different church each week, and I'd speak if the pastor was absent uh, or if there's a special event or at a conference, a youth conference or something like that. So I, I preached a lot. So I was in a lot of churches the first five years. And then after I started pastoring at 24, I still went to other churches to preach revivals. And so I don't, there have been a lot of different churches I've been in. And a lot of them are smaller churches at first. And I noticed something. Many times there would be somebody who tried to run the show. Especially in smaller churches. And you could spot them. They, they were somebody who was, they, they made all the decisions. 
Most of them were the treasurers. They wrote the checks. Most of them, you had to come to them to get money from the church to go buy paper towels or anything. But it all ran through them. Most of them um, convinced the church that it could not survive without them. Most of them convinced the churches of that. And they thought, well, we've got to have him. We couldn't make it. And most of them usually got angry if you challenged them. And folks, I saw this pattern church after church after church after church after church. And I could immediately pick out who it was after a while. It's diatrophies. A number of years ago, I, I preached a church at a revival, in, a preached revival at, at a church in Central Texas. Pastor asked me to come, and so we scheduled the date. And I got there, and I found out everybody referred to the church not by the name on the sign. They called it Frank's Church. Frank was a deacon. Frank was a deacon. He had been in this small community for years. His family had been there for years. Everybody knew him in the community. His grandmother had helped found the church. Uh, and so they called it Frank's Church. He sat right in the middle of a service. sat there just like this. And I got up to preach, and there's Frank, front and center. And everybody would watch Frank's reaction to see how to react. If I said something, and Frank went, everybody went. <laughs> but if I said something, and Frank went, everybody went. <laughs> he ran the show. It's his church. Oh, he was the treasurer. He wrote the checks. You went to him for every decision. And he decided everything for the church because he had convinced them, if I'm not here, this church will not survive. And they believed him. I was there for a week. We went to the school. That's back when you could do that. Invite everybody at the school to come to the church for the revival. And they'd say, where are you preaching the revival at? And I'd call them the name of the church. Oh, it's Frank's church. The kids knew that. We went to the businesses and the restaurants and the little bitty grocery store they had there. Can we put a flyer up? Oh, yeah, where's the revival at? Oh, it's Frank's church. The whole community knew it as Frank's church. I'll never forget Frank's church. And old Frank. Diotrephes, he's sitting there. Loved to put himself first. I met Frank, and we talked through the course of the week, and he uh, wasn't a very friendly guy. He seemed like he felt threatened. And someone challenged him once, and oh, he got wowed. Sometimes whoever yells the loudest in churches gets their way. And so they back down. And Frank stayed in control. I thought about uh, Frank a lot through the years as I was preparing this message on diatrophies. But you know, folks, the bottom line is that church was not Frank's church. 
And this church isn't your church. It's not my church. Because none of us have shed one drop of blood for it, but the one who did, it's his church. And Paul called him out. Brother John called him out. Diotrephes, brother, we can't do that. So be wary of those people who try to put themselves first and try to be prominent, those who jockey for positions of importance in churches. If you see people like that, beware. But there was a third one. Another man by the name of Demetrius, and he was a good example. Verses 11 and 12. We don't know much about Demetrius. In fact, Demetrius was a common name, but not quite as common as Gaius. It was, it was fairly common, but not real common for the Roman world. In fact, Demetrius might have been the one, a lot of Bible scholars believe, maybe the one that actually delivered John's letters back and forth from Ephesus to where John was. Possible. And John said about Demetrius, he said, Demetrius, I love you, brother. You have a good testimony from everybody in the church, and you have a good testimony from truth itself. And I even testified, Demetrius, I know you as a man, and I agree with him. Church, Demetrius is a man you can trust. You can trust him. Aren't those kinds of people a blessing to a church? Those people you can trust. Man, some of you, I trust my life with you. You're a blessing to me. Now, here's a possibility. I'm not saying it's true, but, but hear me out. Go back from 3 John, go back 40 years. Ephesus, still same town. Paul was there preaching. And as Paul was preaching in Acts chapter 19, he describes it. He said, I was preaching and I was ministering and there was a man who gave me fits. I mean, he opposed the gospel and he opposed me and everything I tried to do, he tried to undermine it. And that man, he ought to be, I mean, Paul spoke harsh against him. And the man's name was Demetrius. And now we go 40 years forward in the same town, in the same church. There's a man by the name of Demetrius, and John said, Paul, you're a faithful brother. You're, you're, you walk in the truth. You're a good example. Was that the same man? I don't know, but if it was, same town, same church, with a fairly common name but not totally common if it was that tells me that one day you cannot be a good example but God can change who you are and make you into a great example for Christ and so this morning maybe you're saying you know pastor I'm I'm probably not the best example I'm probably not where I need to be I may be more over here but God can change you into that godly example of truth. Quite likely he changed Demetrius. So, after all this letter, John finally gives us a command, only one command, an imperative, imperative verb is a command. 
There's only one. Verse 11. Look at it on the screen. Here's a command. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. You've got examples of both in your church. Look at those that are good. Imitate them. Don't imitate the bad ones. So let me ask you a question. Which one are you? Gaius and Demetrius? Or Diotrephes? Are you a good example? Or are you a poor example? And if I was to call names today, I'm not. What would your name be? As most of you know, I was raised in a small church in Oklahoma. I was in a church my whole life, and we had both examples. We had some good members there. They're godly. They were gracious. They loved the Lord. They walked in truth. I can think of some of their names right now. I know my wife can too. We were in the same church growing up. Man, they poured into us. They taught us. They are great members. And also in our church, we had the poor examples. We had three men. They ran the church. They were diatrophies. They would gather together, and they would decide what the church did. They were the treasurers. Checks were written by them. They made all the decisions. They put themselves first. Everybody looked to them in a business meeting to see how they'd vote. And those three men convinced us as a church we couldn't make it without them. And I remember as a boy growing up, I didn't know all the behind the scenes, but I knew that those three men ran the church, and I knew that those were also the same three men that cursed at the ball field whenever I played baseball. Weren't real godly men. I didn't consider them godly, just considered them they run the church. And these three men fired every pastor we had. Church didn't vote to fire them. Three men fired them. I couldn't figure out as a boy growing up why we'd have a pastor for 18 months and 18 months and 18 months and 18 months and two years and 18 months. My whole, to- my whole life. But whenever a pastor would get to become popular in our church and the authority was challenged, three men went to them and says, church wants you to leave. We never knew it. So I've had good examples and poor examples. And may this letter today be a, a reminder to each one of us of the examples that we are. And I pray you'll be a good one. We need those. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes very quietly. 
just a moment whenever we close the service I'm going to ask if Brother Tim would be over here and Brother Dane would come up over here at the last and I, I wonder today first of all if, if there is anyone here that needs to trust Jesus as Savior and have your life changed Demetrius it changes from who you once were into who God wants you to be and I'm, I'm sure there are probably those here that need Christ as Savior and as soon as the service is over and as soon as I pray I'm going to ask you to come to either Tim or Dane, and all you have to tell them is, I need to receive Jesus as Savior. I want my life to change. I want to be different. I want to go to heaven with Jesus in my life. And they'll share with you how to make that decision. But I'd say probably most of us here have done that. If that's the case, here's what I want to ask you. Just in the quietness of this moment with nothing playing, but just quietly before us, I want you to think, about what kind of example that you are. If John were to write a letter to the church in Garland and he knew you, which side you would be on? And I want to ask you to pray and ask God just in this quietness to make you the example, the godly example of truth that he wants you to be. Heavenly Father, as we close our service today, having looked at this letter, one in which John called names, called out the good and called out the bad. Lord, I pray today that each one of us will be godly examples, not just to a church, but to our families and to our businesses and where we work, our schools, communities, neighborhoods. And so, Father, today, would you help us to to be the people that you want us to be, the, the Gaiuses and the Demetriuses. And so, Father, today, help us to make whatever decisions we need to make to let you change us into those people. And, God, I want to pray for those that need Jesus today. May they not leave this service before coming up and visiting with Dane or Tim. If they're online, Father, to contact us. May we make those decisions as well. Lord, may we walk in truth this week the culture that sometimes devalues it. May we walk closely with you in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.